Welcome to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce with Cindy Stibbard. Cindy is ready to have those candid and unfiltered conversations so you know how to move forward in your marriage. You'll hear inspiring and insightful discussions surrounding this taboo subject to help you feel confident in your decision. Now, here's your host, Cindy Stibbard. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Divorce Redefined. I'm your host, Cindy Stibbard. And you know why you're here, and I know why you're here, and I am so grateful to have all of you here with me every week. This is where you come if you are just contemplating divorce, if you're thick in the process, or if you're out the other side wanting to make better choices and redefine yourself and your life in the process. You have come to the right place coming here. No matter what stage of life you're in, maybe you're just dating and seeking guidance on how to be the best partner you can be, or maybe you're navigating a tough time in your current relationship or a recent loss, and you want help to do things better. Maybe you're going through a divorce and you need some guidance or inspiration to get through it, or maybe you are out on the other side and looking for ways to become a better, more evolved human. Whatever path you are on or stage you are at, my goal on this show and this podcast is to provide you with information, education, inspiration, and empowering stories so that you can make the best decisions for you, whatever those decisions may be. Now, I do need your help though. To get this show and the value that it brings out in front of those who need it the most, I need to be able to have you do one thing for me. And this is also so that I can run this podcast free of sponsorships, free of ads. I do need your help with this. So I want you to go and follow the show. Give us a five-star rating and even write us a review because the more ratings we have, the more people we can reach, which means the more people we can help. And this podcast is truly all about serving others because that is what I am on a mission to do, as well as the mission that is shared with all of the amazing guests that I have on every single week. Now, this episode, however, is a little bit different. I don't have a guest today. I am going to be speaking to you myself because If you follow me on social media, you will already know that I recently lost my post-divorce partner. On June 1st, 2023, I suddenly lost Mike Mayo, my uh, life partner for the past five and a half years to sudden cardiac death. And it came as such a shock and it really, really rocked my world as well as the world that he had created around him. And I think it's taken me this many months to be able to come to you with the ability to talk clearly, although I might cry if you're ready for that on the show, and share with you my story with him and my little bit of my experience with grief because it is such a shock and such a a struggle to even adapt to and know that it's real I want to be able to share this with you because partner loss is something that no one can truly comprehend unless you've gone through it yourself. I would say that it's a loss most probably second to losing a child and something that 
we are not prepared for in life to have, especially at such a young age. Mike was 41. He had his whole life ahead of him and he had turned it around from where he was before and where he was going. So for this to happen so suddenly is such a shock. And sometimes it's hard to see through the fog and to really see what the silver lining is that the universe is trying to show us when they take a human life back. You know, maybe it was God's taking him back home to where he was supposed to be. You know, we don't know the answers here on earth in this physical world, but through this these last few months of being without him, I have done some serious soul searching. I have worked with countless of of amazing support people like healers and mediums and numerologists even to really not get answers, I don't think, but to seek hope that this isn't all that there is, that there is something more to this and that there is something beyond this physical life here on earth. At least that is what I would love to believe. Last weekend of any of those of you who do follow my social media or mics, or even those of you who are local who are able to come uh, know that the celebration of life happened last weekend. And um, it happened about three months after he passed away because I wasn't quite prepared to have it. His his father and stepmother wasn't really prepared to have it yet. And so it we put it off a little bit and allowed the dust to settle, allowed everyone to have their summer holidays and give people some time to come in from out of town so they could join us. And I do feel that the event was a really amazing testament to Mike. And I tried my very best to create a, an event that I know that he would be proud of. 177 people showed up to celebrate him and share stories and really honor having known the man that Mike had become in his 41 years of life. And it warmed my heart and soul immensely to see how many people showed up for him in this way. You know, Mike had very difficult chapters of his life. And I would have to say that before I met him, you know, he was going through a difficult chapter through addiction and and that struggle, which also uh, it resulted in loss of friends, loss of a marriage, loss of friendships. Um, a lot of those people did not come up, come in and, um, and celebrate him, but I think everyone celebrates or, or experiences grief in their own way. So I was so grateful to those people who, who were able to come because anyone who knows who Mike was, you know, they knew him as a brilliant shining light. You know, he was a model of strength, courage, motivation, and support for so many people. And the impact that he made on others was momentous. You can even go over and check his Instagram page, which is still up and running at May Motivation, where I'm going to leave it up there so that any one of those of you who are out there in the fitness world can still take inspiration and guidance from him and, and seeing him and his element of what he loved to do most. And I knew the passion and the power and the love he had for making impacts on others and his reach was huge but even i you know having known him so well as his partner even i didn't realize the incredible reach he had until the days and weeks after his passing 
when I received hundreds, and I mean literally hundreds of messages from people who had the privilege of knowing him, or even from those who just knew who he was, people who had been following him or touched by him or even sent a message from him or found inspiration in him and his story and didn't and had never met him. His reach and his impact was monumentous. And whether it had been in his day-to-day life or only through social media, it was so inspiring and heartwarming to know the mark that he made on others that changed them for the better. I think most of you who follow me have a pretty good idea of what Mike meant to me. And, you know, in all honesty, and I I do share this story uh, very transparently, how we came together is not a story or situation that either of us were particularly proud of. When Mike and I met, we were both married to other people. So if you don't know the story, you can see where I could go with this. And it's not a good one, but it is the truth. And when I met him, he was about 18 months sober. He was part of a a new group of people who I started to spend time with and socialize with when I was at the lowest point of my life. Because this group that he was a part of was always socializing, always having a good time, always boozing it up, like every day was a party. And at that time of my life, when I was at the lowest point, that was exactly what I needed. I needed people who weren't recognizing that my alcohol consumption was becoming a problem, that my need to continue the facade of this happy life that I was leading was not actually the truth. And during that time, many of my longtime friends were starting to catch on that something was not okay with me. And so I started to pull away from them and become closer to Mike's group of friends, people who did not know who I was really, did not know how much I was struggling, and who actually supported and encouraged, you know, drinking behavior because it was just part of the regular it everyday life, not blaming them for anything. It was me who completely embraced that because it was what I needed at the time. Now, there was Mike, the only sober person in the middle of an every weekend drunk fest and just sitting there watching it unfold. And I found it intriguing because at that time I was at the peak of my own personal struggle and using alcohol as my best way to cope. And meeting him was almost like holding a mirror to myself and confronting myself with my own issues that I was refusing to face, but that I was well aware of in my heart. And as the time went on, the more I got to know him and the more he shared his story with me about his struggle with addiction, I noticed myself drinking less. You know, when you catch yourself that person at the party slurring your words in mid-conversation with a sober person, and you immediately realize how stupid you sound? Well, that was me. I remember having a conversation with him, realizing that I wasn't even that coherent. And it took myself aback as I heard my own voice. And I thought, wow, this is really not cute. I'm really not coming across as intelligent. And I'm really not respecting this man for his incredible struggle, where he's sitting here with all of us as we are getting wasted around him. And I'm sure all he wanted to do was join in. So the more I learned about him, the more I intrigued I became, the more connected we became over conversation, 
because the less I started to drink in those situations. And, you know, despite if anyone go look at his Instagram, you know, despite his steely blue eyes that literally looked straight into your soul when he spoke to you, his sexy, perfect smile and his washboard abs, it was his story to me that was the most attractive part about him. So needless to say, within a couple of months, we both left our marriages and we chose to start a new chapter together. Now, the first year together was incredibly hard, not for us as a couple, but to navigate the aftermath of the decision that we made. His divorce proceeded with fury and left him financially ruined and barely able to afford a two-bedroom apartment for himself and his two kids. And if his divorce didn't send him into a relapse at that point, I don't know what would have. But he was strong and he persevered and he was able to slowly, step by step, move on. And as my divorce progressed, I soon found myself scrambling as well for a home. And Mike, in Mike's way that he is, you know, the only way that Mike would do it, the generous, open-hearted man that he was, he opened his home and his heart to both my kids and I when we didn't have one. And it wasn't long before Mike and I were sharing part-time parenting duties with four kids stuffed into a two-bedroom, 800-square-foot apartment, but we made it work. We knew it was going to be temporary, and we knew that we were going to do it, and we were going to do it well together. Well, I should say Mike made it work mostly. You know, he was the one that went out and bought mattresses and bedding for my kids so they could have their own place to sleep on the floor of his kid's bunk room. And it was crowded and so busy on our parenting days, but it was beautiful. At that time, Mike didn't have his kids very often. He was still fighting for custody of them. But we were able to have such an amazing time all together in that apartment, which was insane, but it was working. And I remember Mike coming to me one day and, and he was worried because he feared losing me for not being able to financially support and provide in the way that he wanted. I had come from a very affluent marriage, you know, a family, my husband worked for his family business. There was going to be nothing but financial prosperity for him and us in the future had I stayed married. But even if you are in a situation like that, anyone who is and is unhappy knows that money can't buy happiness and money can't buy love. So no matter all of the bells and whistles and the shiny objects and the experiences that I got to have in that marriage, nothing was comparatively the same as the emotional connection that I was lacking. And Mike brought that emotional connection. He brought that ability to connect. He was able to see me. He heard me. He understood me. He recognized me. He honored me for the person that I was. And even though he wasn't able to provide all the fancy things on the outside right now, I knew that we could build anything with the love and the connection that we had. But he was always still so worried about that. He wanted to be able to provide for me. And I said to him that he didn't have to worry because if money was what I truly wanted and needed, I would have stayed married, but I didn't. I chose him because of how he made my heart feel and for how he made me feel as a person. 
And because he was so generous with everything and he wanted to provide, even though it wasn't his job to provide, I remember him saying to me as we were all living in the apartment that he just wanted to create a space or create a time, a place where the kids could look forward to when they came to to the apartment because it was so small, because it was crowded. And, you know, their other parents seem to have kept, been able to keep everything in their life completely intact. We felt like we were struggling in this small, you know, new life that we were creating. So he wanted to make it special. And I remember he said to me, he's like, okay, I've been thinking about how we can, we can do something to make this place a bit more exciting for the kids. I think we should get a dog. And I remember looking at him and I said, baby, a dog, you know, that is so sweet, but you know, let's look around for a second. Here's six of us living in a two bedroom apartment. It's really busy. And you know, I don't even know if I'm a dog person. Are you? And he looked at me and he said, nope, me neither, but let's give it a try. So of course, the next thing you know, we have all of our four kids packed up in the car heading out to Maple Ridge to a puppy farm, choosing a puppy from a new litter of French bulldogs that were just imported from Hungary. And of course, me being as the more disciplinary partner in our relationship, I had, of course, the very, you know, parental talk with the kids on the way out in the car, preparing them for the whole idea that this was only a possibility, that it was only a visit with these puppies, you know, just so that you kids know there's a very good chance that we're not coming home with a dog. You know, I'm giving them a whole lecture because I just want them to be prepared. I didn't want any tears as we left there. You know, I was trying to be very clear about this. But honestly, who says that, right? Who has ever taken children an hour away to go look at new puppies and literally not come home with one? Well, of course. So there we were, returning home with four kids in the car and a new French bulldog puppy who we named Oscar. And I remember that car ride home and Mike looking at me in the from the driver's seat. And as I had this little new puppy completely enveloped in my arms and I'm like smelling his little face and he looks at me and says, so I thought we weren't getting a dog today. <laughs> and he knew that it had my heart and it had the kid's heart. And it was something that we knew we were creating special for them to distract them through everything that they had gone through in the divorce. And there we were living in this, you know, very modern, modernly blended family of six part-time in a two-bedroom, 800-square-foot apartment with a new puppy. And we thought, you know what? Nothing could be more challenging than this. This is as hard as it's going to get, and we're doing this well. Well, then COVID hit. And now Mike and I found ourselves with four kids in a two-bedroom, 800-square-foot apartment with a new puppy, homeschooling him working from home and me studying all from the same space. And it was honestly crazy. We had kids outside. Thank God the weather was getting nice because we had kids out, outside on their laptops doing school. We had kids in bedrooms. We, I was in the closet. It was, but it was working, you know, and it was like the more challenge that was presented to Mike and I, the stronger our bond grew and the better we became together. And we were truly each other's person on so many levels. And if anyone knows Mike or knew him at all, he was a man that got shit done. That apartment was a well-oiled machine. We had kids' schedules going and meals are being prepped. There was a home gym set up outside on the patio. And literally the schedule was rotating the kids just like centers in a kindergarten class. You know, the former teacher in me was 
in heaven. It was probably about, you know, five months later, my townhouse was finished. That was just up the street from Mike's apartment. And my kids and I were able to finally give Mike and his kids some space again. But I do have to say that that time all together in that small apartment was some of the fondest memories of our life together. And even our kids would concur with that. And they have many fond memories of us all crammed into that small space. Mind you, they were a lot smaller than they are now, but it worked. And it's amazing that you can really create a loving, warm, fun environment for kids. Then they don't really need much. They just need you. They need you to be there fully pouring into them and happy and making it work. And that's what makes them happy too. You know, Mike and I were both 100% about our kids. And I think that's also why we were so aligned and how it worked so well together. Because when we had our kids, our kids were first. He was so into his kids. They lit up his world more than anything else. And he became the most incredible dad in the past five and a half years since he, since his divorce. I'm sure he was an amazing dad before his divorce as well, but it was afterwards where he really had the opportunity to step up in a way that a lot of dads have to or choose to in a divorcing situation, which really brings out their best quality sometimes and really creates that bond that they get to have with their kids that they might not have normally had because it just wouldn't have presented itself in the same way. And Mike fought hard for his kids too. You know, even up into the day he passed, he was still fighting to gain 50-50 parenting time. It was something that he still wasn't able to convince the other side of, you know, and you normally, because I work in this space, you all know that when someone's refusing to give up 50-50 parenting time, it usually has everything to do with the financial situation of them not wanting to lose money that they could lose when their custody becomes 50-50. So this was very much a situation like that. But Mike was still fighting tooth and nail. And I think he literally would have spent every last penny fighting for shared parenting. They meant that much to him. So as time went on, you know, Mike was working at um, a corporate job in an office, but at the same time trying to just dabble in his coaching fitness online business on the side. And that was slowly starting to grow. And his love for it was growing. And he started to connect with some incredible people like Brian Mark and Cole Da Silva, who really got him inspired to take this business to the next level and really put it at the forefront of his life. You know, they were the ones who challenged him and said, look, if you want to do this for a living, then you've got to go all in and you've got to be able to have the courage to do that. And that means leaving your full-time job. And that was scary for a single dad who was just literally getting on his feet financially, having to raise two kids at the same time, and now taking a risk on what if he was bringing in nothing. But these two men had such belief in Mike that Mike really started to believe in himself. So he did it. He took the risk. He put it all on the line. 
and started to go all in with his fitness and nutrition business. And honestly, I'd never seen him happier. He left all of this stress from being part of the corporate world. And he fully engulfed himself and, and, and took on this whole new persona of just being something and, and doing something that he felt had so much purpose. And that was so aligned with everything that he valued. He valued fitness. He valued health. He valued your body. He, he valued being sober and clean and all of the things that, you know, fitness and nutrition coaches should embody. He was the perfect walking billboard of what you would want to be if you worked with him. And the inspiration that Brian Mark, Brian Mark and Cole De Silva gave him slowly led him to Don Lamb, who then became Mike's mentor, coach, and owner of DIY Body. And he became one of Mike's closest friends. And this bodybuilding world opened my eyes because I also went in with the, all these preconceived notions about what bodybuilders were like and what that community was like. And, you know, they're a bunch of hotheads that do steroids and blah, blah, blah. You know, all those things that we think we know, which we actually don't, because if you did know, you wouldn't even bother to say any of that crap because it's not even true. And this world opened up to Mike and just completely surrounded him with people who saw his worth, people who saw what he truly was bringing to the table, a place where he truly came alive. And he loved every part of it, from the structured workouts to carefully crafted meal plans. He loved it. But above all, when he decided to try his hand at competing, the stage was where he shined. He felt more at home on that stage than he'd felt anywhere in his life. And the people and the new friends he was meeting, wow, you know, he was in his element. And if you are in a partnership, even if you see a friend that is fully embracing something they love, I mean, how much of a joy is that to witness? When you can just see that it's radiating out of every pore, the happiness that he was feeling just made me so proud to be along with him on this journey of truly living out his dream. Soon, Mike was able to have the opportunity to join DIY Body and become one of their head coaches. And I think that was a true turning point in Mike's success as a professional, as a bodybuilder, as a father, as my partner, and even as a person. He was truly doing everything he wanted. He was being believed in, and it allowed him to believe in himself. And he was on fire. His career was was literally just going nowhere but up. His income was tripling mine at the time, which actually annoyed me. <laughs> but he was doing everything that he ever dreamed of. And you know, those of us who, who know him, those of you who met him, you know that his warmth and enthusiasm had their own gravity. And very few of us could resist it. You know, one look at him, one flash of that magnetic smile, one message from him about you doing a good job or keeping up the good work or you can do it. You couldn't help but want more of it. You know, and it's funny, I'll tell you this 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 funny story. When we went to Greece last fall, I took Mike to Greece for his 40th birthday. And 
he was about the only man on the islands with an actual body like a Greek god, first of all. But that also explained why all of the Greek women just went nuts over him. They would swoon as he walked by, and then they'd shyly come up to us, and they'd ask me to take a picture. And uh, I would laugh, and I said, they would say to me, don't be jealous, don't be jealous. And of course, I'd say, hey, you know, I am not jealous at all, but you know, for 50 euros, I can get him to take his shirt off. And, you know, he would laugh and he'd smile. He'd love every minute of it. And of course, I'd be laughing because he'd be paying for half the trip, renting his muscles. But he was just that good sport guy all the time. And he was the opposite of a stereotypical tough guy, self-absorbed gym rat. You know, yes, he took his health and his fitness very seriously. And in fact, you could say he was obsessed and he would say that too. But how many people do you know who you see rise to the top, win first place titles, thrive in business, and aren't completely and utterly obsessed with what they do? You can't name very many because if you aren't obsessed with it, you're likely not succeeding at the level that you could or succeeding much at all. And that aspect of Mike taught me so much about how to approach my own passions and, and goals. And it was his obsessiveness that made him so successful, not only on stage, but as a completely transformed human. Because Mike reinvented himself in monumental ways. Seven years ago, he spent seven weeks in treatment battling addiction, only to spend the next seven years to the day turning his life completely around finding the love of his life, being the father he always wanted, created the career he always dreamed of, pursuing a passion he was meant for, and surrounding himself finally with people who appreciated him and saw his worth. You know, he made the impossible possible for himself. And this drive and determination inspired hundreds even thousands of others to work hard to turn their lives around, pursue their goals, and make it happen too. You know, having engaged in the really hard battle that we fought to be together, the social suicide that we went through, choosing each other, only to lose him like this so suddenly, well, it would be really easy for me to feel enraged, to feel hopeless, to feel ready to give up on the world and on love. But this tragedy, and maybe it's because of his strength pouring into me, is allowing me to choose it differently. I'm choosing to see beyond this devastating experience as my divine assignment from Mike to grow, to be resilient and transform myself and others in the many ways that I know I am meant to. And I know that Mike wouldn't want it any other way. Sometimes it takes traumatic experience to make us face our fears, to let go of the past, to get rid of grudges, to wake up to what we already have, to who we want to be, and to the opportunity of life that we have right in front of us. And I spent many years letting this fear hold me back. I was afraid that I was never going to be good enough, strong enough, smart enough, or deserving enough, even of the truest and deepest kind of love that I knew existed outside my marriage and was somewhere out there in the world to be found. And when Mike and I found that together and we took 
a risk on that kind of love for each other, everything changed. You know, it's one thing to experience the kind of love with someone who teaches you how to love better and deeper, but it's entirely something else when that love also teaches you how to love yourself. And when you get a chance to experience that kind of love, take it. Because for the last five and a half years we were together, I lived, loved, and taught from the power of that kind of love driving me. And that love is the greatest gift that Mike could have left me with. And while there is no hierarchy of loss, the death of a partner is probably amongst the most profound losses of all. The death of the adult who you love the most is an especially cruel experience. And this I know now, now that I have been widowed at 47. Mike's death was sudden and unexpected and unforeseen, and the psychological impact of that kind of loss is going to take me a while to understand. I think I've only just scratched the surface of this, as it's something that I could have never been prepared for. And while grief is not a mental health issue in, in the same way that, let's say, depression or anxiety is, it is a profound psychological wound, and it is one of the most bleakly transformative events a human being can experience, and one that we need to understand better. I almost feel that grief education should be part of our national curriculum, but, you know, it isn't. The loss of a partner is one that you cannot hide from psychologically or practically. You know, humans are programmed to be in couples in our society. They're all around us. And here you stand when you lose a partner, single. Your status suddenly changes from two to one. And in the most mundane ways, which are so hard to explain and articulate to others, I feel existentially alone, despite being surrounded by loving family and friends who have been nothing but supportive to me through this experience. And for those of us who are fortunate enough to afford therapy, it becomes possible to share this feeling. But even with the multiple therapists that I see, the therapist friends and the mentors that I have, and I have, I still have so much fear around boring my friends, my families, my listeners like you, as my grief forges ahead and dragging you through its wake with me. I will share my experience openly. I will share it honestly. And I do share it because I think we need to talk about the hard things. And this is one of those extremely hard things for me. And I know I'm not the only one in this world who has gone through some of the things that I've gone through. Sometimes grief has its own horrendous timetable, which has to be experienced to believe, to be believed. And it's not often that many of us understand how it feels. And to those of you out there who don't know what this feels like, who've never lost a partner, you're lucky. You are lucky to not know how this feels. Because the death of your life partner is so hard because they remain everywhere. Their DNA is on the cups you drink cups you drink from. Their the smell of their clothing that remains in their closet, you know, they are everywhere, yet they're nowhere at the same time. 
And the way that you feel about this as the person who is experiencing this loss is invisible to the outside world. You know, a widowed partner is not a single person in the regular sense. Someone you loved, someone who loved you, and someone you who you continue to love will be there for you, will be in you for a long, long time. You know, even after Mike's death, I love him as deeply as I did in life. And he may no longer be alive in the physical world with me right now, but that bond, that commitment hasn't been broken. And I imagine that if it's like this for anyone else out there, like it is for me, it could stay this way for quite quite some time until you find enough strength or interest or whatever it's going to take to meet a different person, a different but equally lovable person to continue on the path with. And it's so misunderstood. You know, if you have not experienced loss, the the feeling of being in a couple can persist for a long time. You know, in my work, I see it all the time with people who are experiencing the loss in divorce. It's a it's a very unique kind of loss in itself. And we need to pour compassion and love into this loss because unless you've experienced this yourself, you don't quite understand how it feels. And the experience of the death of a partner leaves a hollow behind, which is beyond vast and full of dark shadows that unexpectedly appear like sharp and painful objects, you know, tripping over, I'm tripping over them at any time. And it's very different than any other experience that I've had. So I wanted to share this with you because I want you to know that grief is real and grief is natural and loss is okay to feel. Allow yourself to feel it. You know, so many experts encourage us to go and find strength and power and the silver linings in in grief and loss and be resilient in our experiences. But I don't think that it ever truly happens to the extent that it would happen if you still had that person in your life. So when I look at Mike and everything he brought to me and to my life, I know that I will be forever changed. I know that I am not the person that was here three months ago when he was here. I know that I'm not the person that I will be a year from now as I'm processing this grief and taking him as a gift through my life. But I want you, what I want you to take from this is that life is too short to worry about the small things. You know, if your forever was ending tomorrow, is this how you'd want to be living it? Is this how you'd want to spend it? Is this the partner that you want to be with? Is this the friend that you want to be? Is this the parent that you want to be? Is this the person that you want to be? Because the truth is nothing is guaranteed in life. And you know that more than anyone. So don't be afraid. Be alive. And that is the best way that you can live your life. So thank you. Thank you for hearing my story. Thank you for allowing me the safe space to share this with you. And I hope that if you've gained anything from this, go tell someone that you love them. Go say sorry and mean it. Go let go of a grudge that you've been holding and pick up that coffee date with someone that you've been meaning to reach out to for so long. Because you honestly don't know 
when your last day is going to be. So I love you. I'm here for you. I'm grateful for you beyond measure. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce. We hope Cindy and her guests were able to put your mind at ease and help you make the right decision for your marriage. We wish you a beautiful week.